Hi everyone. So welcome to another interview for the COVID-19 and Democracy Project's discussions around the by-elections in the Hangar Hill Ward. Um, today, I'm lucky enough to be joined by Grace Kwansar, who is the Labour Party candidate in the ward. And so just to note that we're recording this on April the 14th. So anything that happens after that, um, obviously wouldn't, would, you know, Grace would not be able to have any knowledge or comment on. Um, so just to give you a bit of detail about Grace's background, she is um, running in the Hanger Hill Ward for the Labour Party. Um, locally within the Labour Party, she's the Ealing Central Acton, Acton's African, Asian and other minority ethnic equality officer. And under that remit, she has been doing some great work locally around um, informing people and educating people um, about vaccinations which is actually um, really good and I will put the links to the videos from YouTube on the um, in, in the show notes and, and important to note that that is I mean given the importance of it that's been done on a kind of non-partisan basis so it's not necessarily tied to the Labour Party but just as an informational um, uh, activity and Grace is also the founder and director of WAFI which is the writing acting and published project for youngsters, which um, I'll also put the link to that organization in the show notes. Um, but just to note that that has been um, incredibly successful, has worked with really um, important other organizations, including numerous universities, the City of London, um, Brunel University to name but two, has worked with Ealing Council, Capital FM, um, and other very <laughs> luminous organisations, uh, too many actually, in fact, to, to name, but um, has been doing some great work around the arts um, and young people over the last 13 or 14 years since it was founded. So thank you very much for coming on the podcast, Grace. It's lovely um, to speak to you this morning. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. Great. Uh, so just before we start, can you, I, I gave listeners kind of a very brief introduction to you, but could you tell listeners a bit about yourself and then also why you are running as, um, as a councillor in the Hang Hill Ward? Well, I have a very varied and long history. <laughs> Brilliant. Fedlocks <laughs> rather yeah. than hats. I've got a background in social work from uh, in social care in the sort of like mid late 80s and then from social care started um, teaching in education after doing a, a certificate in education I think I had to make a decision whether I wanted to stay in social work and or become an educator and that was partly dictated by my family situation I would have had by then at least two children as a single parent <laughs> and it oh, just wow. felt that to some extent you know this uh, the environment lent itself better to studying and having the holidays off, but still having to do some marking and that during the, the holidays. So at some point I went from social work to um, teaching and this, and then from there at some point, this, we're sort of talking about FE, then shifting to higher education. I had taught seven years with the Open University, predominantly sociology, social work, special needs, and cultural media studies. 
And then from, let's say, um, the beginning of the millennium, something dreadful happened, which I'll probably talk a little bit more later on. It, it was uh, connected with my family, the tragic killing of Victoria Klimbier and uh, the, the public inquiry. So at that stage, I was doing a PhD, but chose to give up the PhD because I needed to support the family to come to the UK, to be involved in the inquiry, to be sadly the, the child before the inquiry. And that meant another shift actually away from higher education teaching, my PhD, setting myself up as a storyteller. I'm very good at telling stories and, and doing more poetry. I've always been doing, writing poetry all of my life. And uh, then, ending up in the British Museum because by that time I was doing some voluntary work in my previous church and somebody I didn't know but somebody at the British Museum sorry somebody at this uh, church Acton Hill who happened to be a steward at Acton Hill Dr Chris Spring then working at the British Museum recommended me without me knowing so I got this call from somebody at the British Museum Richard Wolfe head of education way back in the early millennium saying, you don't know me, but we know you and uh, we'd like to interview you because you've been <laughs> recommended to us. So I say that because I have since, after I got that one-off uh, teaching, uh, sorry, uh, storytelling opportunity in 2005, um, it then led to a permanent position as a facilitator in the uh, education, but working now predominantly with the Africa sort of themes. And I've been there nearly, what, 16 years? So I can say that is my longest job in terms of, although it's part-time and on furlough, but I have been at the British Museum 16 years and I've seen people come and go and I'm still there. Um, so that's my longest job. I'm a writer, author. As you said, I set up writing, acting, publishing project for youngsters in 2008. For nearly 18 months, I've been a, a Labour Party member in the last year, just before COVID. Um, just, I think probably just year before COVID, because you get very confused with timings now that we've been locked down, in and out of lockdown. I then became an equality officer, supporting members of um, ethnic minority communities within the Labour Party. I won't say the word BAME. You're going to see me refuse to say the word BAME. So oh, I meant say... to say that in your brief, actually. You're running a campaign to... <laughs> and and it's been, an, inter it's been, a, it's been it. an interesting journey, because you do know that the one thing that uh, the race disparity report and I share some kind of agreement in is rejecting the term BAME. Apart from that, I'm not impressed at all. Well, I might even talk about that later. So as you can see, I could go on and go on and go on. I wear so many different hats, but to, in a nutshell, I'm an educator. I'm director of WAPI and I am an equality officer for the Ealing Labour and a candidate in the Hanger Hill Ward. That has to sum it up, but there's a lot more to me. Wow. Okay. That's fantastic. Thank you very much. And um, yeah, I look forward to um, uh, hearing more about all of those things. Um, and thanks for sharing what is clearly um, a, a, an emotional um, part of your history. Um, so thank you very much indeed. Um, so before we get into kind of the details of sort of local politics and Ealing and Hanger Hill um, and the last year with relation to COVID, what is your kind of general overarching um, kind of philosophy when it comes to government or um, well, I mean, to, local to be honest with you, you did ask me why did I want to be a councillor, I didn't get to answer that, and I'll link that with uh, government. I mean, 
basically, um, I've gone through a lot of struggle and I've seen a lot of things in my life. So I've, I said this in uh, one of my uh, nomination papers that with, it seems I've been a counsellor before I've formally been uh, honoured enough to be selected to be a counsellor because over the years people have stopped me, they've heard about me, they've seen my public profile or somebody has passed away, a child, sadly a, a mother has lost a child and I've been there to support them. Victoria Klimbe was, a, was obviously a defining factor. I also set up a petition in 2018 after Carillion collapsed, the libraries were in a, a difficult situation where they weren't going to function. Literally, the lights went out in healing libraries and I worked very much in libraries, as you would know, with WAPI and stuff like that. And I felt, no, wait a minute, you know, my friends, I, I use the libraries, we can't have this. I set up a campaign and it attracted within two weeks, two and a half thousand people. and. I, I can take some credit for that because Julian Bell listened. He took the libraries back in house because someone got in touch with me and said, Grace, you did it. <laughs> you know, I've got Benjamin Zafanaya on board, Michael Rosen on board, um, Patric lots of high profile names, women and men. So that made me think, wait a minute, I have a voice and people have a voice and together we can make a difference. And sometimes it might mean at that stage, I wasn't even in the, in the Labour Party. So it, for me, it was just pure activism going on the streets with people of different political persuasions they weren't always labor you sure. know residents but it was a it was just working with the public so i had this sense that but wait a minute i can be trusted and i want to be trusted to represent people especially who don't feel represented by the council and so that to me kind of like catapulted me the Save Even Libraries campaign, Victoria Klimier campaign, also, um, what was the other one? Oh yes, yeah, supporting a street homeless woman who actually, in, when I knew her years ago, she was also a volunteer supporting vulnerable, mentally ill people. And then she strand herself in a difficult situation herself and found me publicly, out on the streets campaigning and she literally had her house on her back. So one day I get this phone call saying, Grace, I'm about to bed down on a 207 bus. And I'm thinking to myself, what's this? I can't go to bed knowing that this woman is street homeless. Sure. And yeah, so yeah. what I'm trying to say, all these different incidences, plus people stopping me to say I'm as, they've heard about me, can I come and represent their child because their child is on the verge of being excluded from school. You know, and I'm thinking to myself, so, and I, I, I'm just constantly being asked by people to support them, even neighbors in the street. So that all came to a crescendo where I said, you know what? And by now I am in the Labour Party and I'm thinking to myself, perhaps I've got something to offer. I'm a good orator, I can speak. I speak hopefully the truth. I'm a unifier. I have my own political position within the party. I'm a socialist. I'm not gonna say what kind of a socialist I am, but I certainly believe in a fairer society. And, um, you know, in, that we should all have equal slice of the cake. Um, but at the same time, I also believe in bringing people with you. So we try to, I believe in dialogue. I, I'm also, I also believe in class struggle 
because um, I've come from a position of struggle myself and I don't believe that struggle is, is hierarchical. So though I'm a black woman, I, my family came from Africa. They came here in the fifties, made a life for themselves. I didn't know my parents very well because I was privately fostered with a white family for five years in the sixties. Then I went to Ghana to live with an, an African family. So I've had a very interesting upbringing. So, so, and yet because my father died when I was a teen and I got to know my mother when I was a child and she went through so much, I see myself as not coming from a position of privilege. I've spent time in foster care. So all these things have shaped me. So the kind of socialism that I believe in is one which is understands that struggle is simultaneous. It's simultaneous in terms of race, in terms of class, in terms of sexuality, in terms of gender. All these things are kicking my, excuse me to say, my backside. So when someone says to me they have, you know, they, they, they see the importance of, um, you know, inequality is rife in Britain and it's rife in Ealing, it's rife everywhere. I see inequality as divided in many different ways. But as a black woman, it has a particular impact upon me, but I'm not necessarily saying it's the only impact. So that gives me hopefully insight into understanding other people's, you know, sort of like um, experiences of struggles. Okay. Yeah. I hope that I hope I'm answering your question because yeah, you asked me. No, something. that was but, really good. Thank you very but much. But it does indeed. link in with local government, you know. Yeah, sure. Indeed. Multiple socialism. I'll come to that. Let's get back to basics. <laughs> the kind okay. Of yeah, okay. Local local localism as a as a driving kind of factor rather than a, a focus on the centre, I guess, right? Yes, 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 yes. Okay. Yes, yes. Um, and so, I mean, you've touched on lots of this already, so um, feel free to uh, take it in which way you want. Yeah. So, so your kind of your connection to Ealing is clearly long term, and um, you have the emotional it's, and logistical and <laughs> professional attachment in in lots of ways to the city. It's, it's long term. I mean, you asked me a question about. I'll, I'll, I like this definition of local government, and it comes from. Uh, a person by the name of Iswa Thapa, and it kind of sums up why I want to be a councillor, because for me, it's about doorstep government to local people, doorstep. You stand on the doorstep, you chat to people. Might not be able to do that in, the, in quite the same way we, we would have done pre-COVID, sure. but you get to know people. You're responsible towards local people. It's a government where you're being democratic and you promote democratization. It's multidimensional phenomena, I like that. There's so many aspects to local government. Um, and the final one is, well, it's a system of government, isn't it? Which is very, meant to be quite different to national government. So yeah, I hope um, within yeah, your question. That's really useful, okay, cool. fantastic. So turning to the kind of the local area over the last mm -hmm. year or so, mm -hmm. um, how has, I mean, how, how has the pandemic affected um, the, the, the borough of Ealing um, over, over the last year? Um, to be honest with you, I think it's, Ealing has been affected very badly. I understand to date we've had 811 deaths we have had periods not too long ago where West London has fared very badly as compared to other parts of London. 
and Ealingers had the highest rates of infection within London. And so we have to ask ourselves why. The, we, have, we are the queen of the suburbs, as you know, but within, in, even within the queen of the suburbs, we are the, um, we've got the third highest rate of homelessness. We have, um, you know, this, what's it now? I believe premature mortality rate is higher than any other borough. We also have, I think, I believe Nor Norwood and North parts of uh, Southall, Norwood Green, I think even, I believe Northolt, we have high deprivation and Acton. We have large numbers of ethnic minority communities living in Southall, living in Acton, living in Northolt. And, you know, it's, it's, it kind of reflects the COVID figures. You've got a lot of people in these areas, not exclusively, but I'm pulling them out and uh, for living in the living in overcrowded situations, communities that are not used to living in separation. And where you have one thing, all the disparity reports have revealed, whether it's the government's report last June, the Fenton report in October, Doreen Lawrence report, all show institutional structural inequality. Although we've, they've hit on different ways of reading that information and, and, and outcome. Sure, there's different ways of framing it, but. Yes, so <laughs> I think Ealing, Having said that, I understand it's led the local response to COVID. And it's, you know, I read not too long ago that um, it will have a financial impact, 71 million pounds. The government, the local uh, council is going to be affected by cuts from the central budget. You know, we've been very, I read not too long ago last year, Ealing was very good at, uh, giving out uh, lots of PPE. So even though we've had, people have been dying from, you know, COVID related illnesses, still we've been able to help other, other boroughs. And we've, you only need to look at um, our website and you can see the advice that there's so much there that we've been doing. We've got uh, a, there's a COVID mutual response, which I think the council uh, uh, linked up with a, community group to respond to local needs around COVID. You know, there's been a, a they, they've um, set up all kinds of um, vaccination centers, which are improving all the time. And we still, I think we have lagged behind other boroughs and I think London has lagged behind other parts of the country, but it's been a kind of like a chicken and a egg, carrot and stick situation. So for me personally, if you're gonna ask me, I can say that um, it's been hard on, on my family because I can see that my daughter, like many other youngsters last year, couldn't do their, their, their exams. There's a lot of children that have, um, have, who are struggling with their mental health because of COVID. These are the hidden things that you don't know about unless you're involved with this particular group of people. Um, teachers, you know, have argued for better protection you know, so that they're not put at risk. We've had teachers who, in fact, one teacher died at Greenford of COVID. And I know he was a, of a, from a black 
um, ethnic minority. It, it, it's been really, really, really tough. So um, it's been hard. It's been hard nationally. It's been hard locally. I know Julian Bell does regular updates. He came and gave some figures not too long ago in a meeting that I run ran for, for um, va the vaccination campaign. He was very clear that um, we, we're improving our rollout, but we could do better because still, when you look at the national figures, let's say you've got, um, I'll just give you one. I'll probably, I'm probably jumping along here, but I wanted to make this point. 46% of, let's say, if I can get the right figures, sorry about this, I'm coming to you. I want to make sure I've got the right figures. Yeah, okay. For example, nationally, the Royal London did a study to say that um, white people, this is white British, 72% were uh, taking the vaccine as compared to Pakistani, Bangladeshi, 42%. And uh, uh, when it comes to, um, so you've got like a high ratio of white people taking the vaccine. And when it comes to black people, nationally, it's, it's uh, let me get this right, I've got this right, I've got this right, I might have it around the wrong way actually. No, it's the, it's the other way. Random studies showed that 72% of vaccine hesitancy is related to black people. Whereas when you look at white British, it's 16% and Bangladeshi comes next with vaccine hesitancy. So it's 42%, but in Ealing, vaccine hesitancy, you've got 70, 2% Asian um, uh, British, okay, so therefore, and the, we'll take the vaccine, so it's the other way around, and you've got 48%, 0.35 of Black and Black British are taking the vaccine, so that's the highest group, predominantly African descended people are not taking the vaccine, and the highest group that is taking the vaccine again is 79.44%. So, you know, we do need to improve those figures, and sure. more has been done to put like uh, vaccination centers in Acton, in those places where I say Southall, Acton, where you've got high numbers of black, Asian, African, uh, Caribbean communities living okay brilliant yeah um and i mean as you say it's the it's the communities that have been hit the hardest and then for kind of numerous historical reasons um there's a lot of hesitancy yeah. in those communities to take the vaccine so there's kind of a, a, a double hit um okay and so i guess so turning to your your party which is the labor party and so um julian bell who who grace has referred to a, a number of times is the the chair of the union council and he's uh labor um, and yeah. then the MP in the local area is um, Rupert Huck, who's, who's Labour mm -hmm. as well. Um, and so how kind of, uh, whether you can take this kind of discuss locally or it, within London or nationally mm -hmm. or all three, um, how has your party fed into the, the COVID response over the last year? Well, um, I think, um, I have to think about this one now. Uh, we've got, we've got like, for example, pandemic planning to prepare for future outbreaks. Okay, and um, I think uh, nationally, you've seen that uh, Keir Starmer has put the government on uh, on note because 
it's difficult because in times of national crisis, Labour doesn't want to be seen as constantly attacking. You tend to find you get more cooperation, more uh, consensus, other, because you, we've, we've never been in this position before and it's been challenging for all parties. It's been challenging around the world, but we do have one of the highest death rates in the world. Today it stands as one, I believe one, 2000 K, yeah? So it's, it's a high number. And so Labour has had to constantly question the government's strategy with regards to acting too slowly when it was advised by SAGE to lock down quickly. I mean, and uh, to provide PPE when it was important to do so, so that people, uh, communities were protected um, to ensure that, uh, for example, you, for example, I believe it's Labour that has put the, made the government accountable in terms of, for example, um, ensuring that teachers with regards to going back to school don't just go back and they're not protected. You know, they've got to deal with risk assessments so they know that they're, they're um, they're being protected. Um, I just feel that Labour has, um, it says it would lead the way in terms of that the government wasn't prepared, even though they saw what was happening around the world, they weren't prepared. So the Labour government would um, lead the way from the front on a pandemic preparation as prioritising its health security this is what it's saying, forming alliances to make the world a safer place for the future. So um, it's important that all governments have to invest, you know, to ensure that we are able to bring the economy back to becoming much more, um, pro uh, I suppose, efficient and uh, serve the different communities in the way that it should. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm waffling a little bit. That's okay. <laughs> um, I mean, it, I mean, it is true. You know, at the start there, that I mean, Keir Starmer came in at a particularly tough time for any leader, right, and had to tread a, a really fine balance between, you know, doing the job of the opposition, right, holding the government to account, but equally not wanting to undermine any of the science and um, and and had to, you know, in terms of agreeing with not necessarily the way in which lockdown came about or the timing of it, but we're agreeing with it and then having to tread a similar line with the vaccine rollout. Um, mm. Yeah, so that's been a, 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 and the parties had to do that at kind of a national, local um, and sort of hyper-local level as well, down to kind of boroughs and, and wards. Um, okay. And of course, um, the one thing I will say, which I probably didn't make too clear, it, COVID has exposed disparities of health so um, the government was forced to do one report, but the, there is a Doreen Lawrence report, which said that, you know, it came, became very clear that um, there are groups of people that are dying more than other groups. And we need to sort of invest more in those communities, whether it's uh, black, Asian, some uh, Polish communities, uh, and some particular occupations in the initial stages of pandemic when we didn't know enough. I mean, we've always been back uh, backwards at coming forward. You know, it took a while even for us to look at where we are now. We're all wearing masks at the beginning. And of course, the, the messaging has been quite mixed, both at national level 
the World Organization has had to clarify certain things. So as we get to know more about the um, the, uh, the, the the disease, we let them had to be careful how much distance we put between ourselves and individuals. Uh, we've had to um, basically wear masks. We've had to consider bubbles and and you know there's been one lockdown after the other so it, it's been quite difficult because when you're do, doing things quite late and you're not listening to the science then when we end up in lockdown it becomes more severe than it would be otherwise so all of this has been a learning curve for the government and I'm not going to in any way I think they could do better and I think that it's been good that Keir Starmer, who's, as you say, quite rightly, has inherited this position at a difficult time, has been able to call the government out and make them accountable for what they've had to do. But that doesn't mean to say that we are all perfect, because we too have to look into ourselves to see what we're doing, which is good, and where we could improve ourselves as a, as a Labour Party too. And I sometimes think that sometimes maybe we, we have been <laughs> sometimes agreeing with the government too much. So... Yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Um, and so um, there's this phrase that gets used time and time again um, by by the government. I mean, you see these phrases like, you know, just before the pandemic around, around the time of the election, it was all about kind of levelling up and that's kind of still in the background. And then since last summer, there's this, this idea, this narrative from the government that um, we need to build back better. Um, and mm -hmm. so if you were to kind of surmise what you feel that means you know do you have an idea what that phrase means to you and how important would kind of local government um be be to doing that to building back better it's interesting you should ask that that uh, question because about three weeks ago um i run this project called WAPI, which stands for writing acting publishing project for youngsters and it empowers young people to be in control of what they say and to be confident in speaking out in terms of the arts, but it kind of also uh, um, cuts across um, sort of like other areas. So it goes into education. We can empower young people to interview high profile personalities and, you know, just make, make them leaders. So they may even think in the future of doing something like campaigning and political work who knows i think there's a thin line between creativity and politics anyway so um because we are because of the lockdown wappy hasn't been able to engage with our youngsters in person as we would like to so we've we do things online called lockdown life and that has meant that we've invited different individuals to come into lockdown like jamel edwards a, t, a local entrepreneur and tv uh, sort um He's, he's set up STV uh, music channel. And then um, we've had uh, writers, we've had musicians. And recently, about a month ago, we had my son who works with Nick, Nick Newman, who has an organization called You Build. It's You Build, an architectural company. And he used the concept of building back better oh wow okay oh, so, he came, very... so they yeah three architects came into WAPI to talk with our youngsters and I said what do you mean by 
building back better. And he says that it's building sustainably in such a way you're using the, the, the natural environments and you're giving back to the community, which is going to be accessible for them. So you're building, so it's like building these affordable homes, affordable, uh, any structures using some kind of construction design and you're doing it in a way which is also green and, and, and environmentally friendly. But the actual concept itself, I understand, has been borrowed by the UN. And I did, I had to do a bit of research. So it's a strategy aimed at reducing the risk of, to the people, of nations and communities in the wake of future disasters and shocks. So it's a kind of recovery approach. And you know what? The problem is we've had austerity for the past 12 years. And the government, as far as I'm concerned, has underinvested in the health service. We've had Ealing Hospital. We've had to campaign to save it. As I said to you, and thankfully at the moment it's safe, but it's still at risk. We have had uh, the nurses and uh, those who are at the front line saving our lives. What, they've been awarded a 1% pay cut, even though Boris Johnson talks about leveling up. We've got teachers working their backsides off, you know. We have libraries that were in danger of being cut because of lack of funding. Police also have had their budget cut. So one of the issues, certainly in relation to Hanger Hill is, and, and all our areas, is high crime, opportunist crime, even if it's gone down within the lockdown, we still have opportunist crime. People will take advantage. So when you talk about recovery, you've got to put a lot more in when you've been starving us of these public resources to begin with. You see, so... Um, it is important that we do build back better, but what does it mean? I, for me, it means going back to basics. You know, we have to have, you know, socialism used to be very kind of like concerned with public services. If you want to build back better, build up your public services. Don't denigrate them, don't destroy them because we need them more now than we've ever done. Before. Thank you very much. Um, and just so um, for listeners, the, so the Ealing Hospital campaign was a really, as you can imagine, Ealing Hospital is a, a big hospital locally, and it was the, the Save Ealing Hospital campaign ran for years um, and was uh, a, a really big issue um, locally. Um, so um, finally, um, before I let you go and uh, begin your day of campaigning and uh, <laughs> running Rappi and everything else that you do, um, what so, I mean, and you've touched on some of this already. So in terms of the most challenging issues locally, what would you see them as being moving forward and how will you help to ad address those? Well, kind of like, um, to some extent, um, kind of like reflect um, Ealing's uh, policy. There are some key issues for me as a, if I was going to be a councillor, okay, if I was lucky enough to be, selected to be a councillor, I do have some important areas. For example, young people have been affected by the pandemic. There's no doubt about it. I've seen it in my own family. So it's important that I would want to put access to social care, better access to social care. There's waiting lists for young people who need to have uh, access to uh, CAMs. 
which is um, psychological uh, uh, mental health services, they're on a waiting list of 18 months. They have to have act better access. They, the creativity has been cut in schools. I want children, young and teenagers feel like they can be better supported in schools and in the community. I also think that um, we need affordable housing. I know that um, Hanger Hill looks like a privileged borough, but it's a tale of two towns as far as I'm concerned, two cities. You've got Laughlin Leafy area, which is quiet and, you know, um, where um, low trans, uh, low traffic um, uh, lights may fare very well there, but then you've got areas because the high pollution as well with the A40, there's high pollution, that's a constant concern. But then you've got the bit near West Twyford where I did a project in 2013. High migrant community, you've got a massive estate opposite West Twyford School. And uh, there is um, probably high um, distrust because they don't feel like there are enough people that look like them within within the, the, the local party and high vaccine hesitancy. And where you've got lots of um, people living in high rise flats or estates, there's going to be more equality. It is, that is just a fact. So we have to deal with the problem of uh, um, housing overcrowding, but that doesn't mean necessarily, me personally, doesn't mean that the answer is necessary to go for skyscraper. That's a big issue in Ealing, the fact that we are, at the moment, the res residents were challenging, seeing buildings everywhere, buildings everywhere. I live in an area of Ealing where I've been affected too by building sites and high rise buildings. So there has to be some kind of balance. It's, buildings which are affordable, but which um, can also be accessible to all. Um, defending the borough against a Tory hard Brexit. That's very, very important, you know. Um, I, 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 I think it's important so if, that we do that. Saving our hospitals, tackling knife crime. And I understand that with, I spoke to um, uh, a reverend in uh, Hanger Hill, and I do understand that they are concerned. It doesn't mean that it's necessarily, if you look at the figures, it was say, say, saying something like, whereas the national rate of crime is six out of every thousand, in Hanger Hill it's five. So it's lower than the national average, but the residents are concerned because they want to defend their properties. So I oh, make sure. They kill five too many, right? Like You don't see enough police on the beat. So we need to see policing, you know, in our communities so that residents can feel safe. You know what I'm saying? Um, that's important. And I think also um, boost recycling and deliver a cleaner borough. You know, we have high pollution in Hanger Hill, much more so than maybe other areas because of the A40. And I also live not in Hanger Hill, but I know the ward and I'm also near the A40 and I have a child with asthma. So I have great sympathy. We have to make sure that we're sorting out our climate. So I will do my best and I will listen to make a difference. Okay, that's brilliant. Thank you very much, Grace. We will leave it there. Um, so thank you very much for coming on.